You want your five star matches? You want your thirty minute classics? Not me. Big meaty man slapping me. Ladies and gentlemen of the CWC, my name's We Too Deep. This is the Slapping Meat Wrestling Podcast, and we got a special edition episode coming for you today where we're going to sit down with creator of the Junkyard Media Group and the Junkyard Podcast, um, Junkyard Jimmy also known as, you know, my brother. Um, we'll get into sort of the context of why we're doing that talk when we when we bring him on. Um, but before we get to that, I do have some things that I do want to talk about in the world of wrestling um, that has happened over the last few weeks, or things that I've thought of over the last week or so. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk about is this L.A. Knight push. Um, or lack of push to this point. And everyone's telling us, you got to be patient. You, you have to, you know, it's coming, right? Yeah, it's coming, just be patient. And, 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 and I, I can't help but feel the same way I've always felt about this. That maybe a push comes, but at, at, at the expense of drawing out what should have happened, you know, a month ago, right? Like, I understand, like, not having LA Knight win Money in the Bank, if there was another story, but, but when you... When you continually have LA Knight, who is arguably the number one star in the company... When you continue to have him lose these big profile matches, at what point are the fans just allowed to say, we give up with hoping for a push? Um, personally, I don't think he does... I'm not going to say he doesn't deserve it, because he is a superstar, but I don't think he, he should get a main title push. But a U.S. title push is definitely fine for L.A. Knight, someone the caliber of L.A. Knight to get. Especially considering how low the U.S. title has fallen in the pecking order of the company. I feel like putting that strap straight on to L.A. Knight not only could elevate the title, but can create a, a better mid-card division in SmackDown right now, which really suffers, um, it, it really does suffer, um, anything outside of the bloodline on SmackDown right now really suffers, um, at least in my opinion, See, but my problem with forcing us to wait just a little bit longer, even if it's two, three weeks, 
is look at the big profile matches LA Knight has had this year. He lost the Mountain Dew match at Rumble. He lost Money in the Bank. He lost the the Fatal 4-Way. This has always been my problem with... um, With WWE's booking is they sort of do these pushes, but they don't give these people these credible wins. LA Knight should have won... The fatal four-way. Like, the the easy push for LA Knight to do is to have him beat Theory. It's right there in front of your face, and you don't have to make your fans wait to get something that they that, that you need to strike on now. Because if this cools off, it's never going to ignite again. Right, but... but and my biggest fear when it comes to... You know, there's a supposed rumor out there... That LA Knight's still going to get like a promo-esque segment that could lead into a match. And everyone instantly goes back to the news report that Stone Cold is being asked to, to put over a superstar. And everyone immediately goes, well, LA Knight's got to be the guy Stone Cold's been asked to put over. And here's my problem. Here's my problem with this. I feel that that is leaning too far on the nostalgia, right? It's going to, to, to get a few fans excited, but I'm sorry. I'm not, and I, I'm not excited for Stone Cold to come back to put over LA Knight. It just, I think it's a waste of Stone Cold's time. There's a much easier way. If you want Stone Cold to, to get over LA Knight, put LA Knight on his podcast and let him kayfabe a, pro, a promo on there and get himself over. But to 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 use a segment on SummerSlam to to have him do a promo with Stone Cold and either beat Stone Cold in a match or set up some sort of match um, while promoing against Stone Cold. I just I'm just not a big fan of that idea. I just. That's just I just I just don't like that as a as a uh, potential way to get over LA Knight because I think it's it hits that nostalgia. But how long does the nostalgia feel actually last for? I don't think that leads to a long term push for LA Knight. Uh, I think it's just hitting on the fact that people say he they remind they're reminded of Stone Cold when it comes to LA Knight. I, 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 so I don't, I think the easiest way you could have gone around this is just to put him in the United States championship match and give him the belt, have him be the one that beats theory and let him have the U S title and elevate that mid card past, you know, not being taken serious on the, with the mid card on SmackDown, right? I, I don't care what you're doing. With the LWO. I don't care what... It's not better than LA Knight. At this point. I just... I don't understand why they're not striking hot. Like, like it's hot right now. You have to strike while it's hot. Because if you give me something lukewarm... Or if you give me something cold... I'm not going to like it. And I, I just don't know what the long term plan is. And I'm going to go... I have to go back... To my original point on LA Knight. We've seen this a thousand times before. Damian Sandow, Rusev, Ziggler, Cardona, or, or Zack Ryder. 
right? The guys who organically get over do not get pushed. Liv Morgan, for the longest time, they right for the for six months leading up to when she finally won the title. For six months leading up to that, the fans were asking for her to be champion. She was the hottest thing on the women's division. An organic pop every time her music hit, and WWE struck late. And, and I think that ultimately led to people not caring as much when she won the title. WWE is either hist- always late with these pushes or they don't push people who get over organically. They just don't do it. And so while the, everyone's saying the push is coming, how much longer are they going to make us wait before the payoff actually comes with LA Knight? He has four of the top five selling shirts on the store right now. Like, he should be in the match on Friday to determine who's the number one contender for the title. You, you don't make your fans wait for something like this. You got to strike when it's hot. That's my number one critique right now of, of LA Knight's booking. The next thing that I want to talk about is I don't really want to cause controversy. I always got to preface when I bring this man up. But I saw two TikToks over the last month that featured Omos in them. I don't know the name of the creator, but it's obviously a scripted, two scripted TikToks of this man walking up to Omos, the first one in the airport, the second one at his house, and like sign the contract, right? And I just got to say something. Omos outside of the ring has charisma. Like this goes back to my original point. Here recently, I've been sort of leaning over to, maybe I was wrong about that whole issue. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe Omos does need a run in NXT. Maybe Omos does need practice. I was considering, you know what, maybe that would be what's best for him. But then I see these TikToks, and I say to myself, this dude has charisma. He can do it himself. He... Why are they making him be the big buffoon in the ring? Like, it's it's 100% the presentation of Omos that's holding him back. And this is why I say 90% of the business is booking and presentation. How is the team presenting, right? So, for example, if you're watching a movie, right, takes, like, Bad Boys or, you know, Ocean's 8, where... <clears throat> the story wants you to cheer for the bad guy to get away. You want you're going to cheer for them to to steal the 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 jewels or the money or whatever, rob the bank and get away and you're cheering for the bad guy. Right? That goes against everything in our moral nature as human beings to cheer for the bad guy, right? Everything in our nature says that we would critique the bad guy. We would want the bad guy to to not win. Right, but the producer of a good producer of movies has the ability to convince you through how they present the characters to want to cheer for the character, right? And so the producers of WWE need to learn how they're presenting Omos is ultimately the reason why Omos is not getting over with the crowd. They present him as the stiff, 
idiot to be completely honest he doesn't he can't talk for himself he he has to walk super straight and slow like he's a giant and i understand that they're going off the sort of stereotypes that they've always used for the big characters but the dude outside of 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 the ring outside of the arena has charisma he can talk he can move he's an athlete let him just be himself and stop trying to put on this this sort of racial gimmick of him being Nigerian and a giant in this, like, he's not the big show. He's not Kane. Let him be himself. And I think he could get over. And I don't think he needs a run in NXT to do that. Because, right, you could put him in NXT. He's a, he's a free agent. That's fine. You could put him on SmackDown. You can put him on Raw. You can have him on all three brands, for God's sake. But he, he needs to be able to express his, his, his the natural charisma that he has. And your presentation, your booking, the story you're telling with them is the reason he's not getting over. And you keep just repackaging the same garbage. So, so when it comes to Omos... I have to stand on my original opinion. Because here recently I've been thinking maybe I was wrong... But after seeing these TikToks, he can talk. He has charisma. Why are we holding him back? Give him the ability to do what he can do and to, to do his job to his fullest ability. Stop holding him back because that's what you're doing. You're literally holding him back from getting over. And you may just have a, a, a guy who could run that mid-card division. I'm 100% convinced. If this year you had him beat Lesnar at Mania, I don't think he needed to beat Rollins. I think he had a really good match with Rollins. But if he would have beaten Lesnar at Mania, that would have given him enough credibility to to have a, that match with Rollins, even in a defeat where he, 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 he was tough. And Rollins had to, to do a stomp off the top rope. Which the whole story behind that is he had to go higher so the stomp had more impact, right? He had to he had to go above and beyond to put away the giant, right? That's a good move and a good story to tell right there, right? So I think the Seth match benefited Omos. But the losing the Brock hurt him. And so they sort of balanced each other out, and then we don't see him after the draft ever. Like he just disappeared. Right? If he would have beaten Brock and had that match with Seth the same way, same result would have been fine, and then come out of the draft and beat Theory for the U.S. title and just went through the mid-card on SmackDown or Raw, like because he's a free agent. You could negotiate a free agent st status, had him show up to an open challenge, have him beat Theory. As a free agent, he can show up on any show he wants, Right, have him be the, the fighting champion who dominates the mid card, and 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 that booking, that presentation, allow him to speak for himself. That presentation itself allows him to get over more than just putting him with MVP, which obviously isn't helping him. I I, I just the way you present these characters and the way you book them and the longer you wait to fully give them the reins of their own character. Like, I don't think they need a hundred percent creative control, but some of these people just need to be able to be themselves and to, to, to say, Hey, be creative, come up with something. And, and, and 
We'll walk you through the how to write a promo, how to give a promo. We'll walk you through it, right? But some of these people, they put the training wheels on and they never take them off. Omos doesn't need any more reps. He just needs the training wheels pushed off of it. They, they got him restrained. If they just release the restraints, I think Omos could get himself over. Because he has enough natural charisma as... as he could be that bad guy that that could be the dominating bad guy who comes out and just dominates people with his size. I don't understand why they're holding him back because he if you watch anything outside of what's on WWE TV, he has that natural charisma and they just won't let him show it. Right. So so. I just don't understand what they're doing with him, Right. And, and then the fact that we haven't seen him in since the draft. Is, is insane to me. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna transition over here to um, the interview with Junkyard Jimmy. Um, we're gonna pause for a few seconds, and then um, we'll have this this interview with him, and uh, that'll be the end of the episode. Just some shout outs before we get to that interview. Um, go and like and uh, like and subscribe to the casual community page on YouTube. That's where you can get the link to join the Discord. It's where you can watch our Friday fight companions as we live stream SmackDowns. You can get our uh, it's me, Gossamer, and Nerdy D and Mike as we live stream SmackDown. I th- we were planning on doing one for uh. Great American Bash, but Nerdy D's going live in person, so I don't think we're going to do one for Great American Bash, but we will do one for SummerSlam. Um, and so go ahead and like, subscribe, share that page, um, as well as join the Discord. Uh, that way you can join our discourse on the shows as we talk about them. Um, but uh, that's all the shout-outs I have. Again, you can follow me on TikTok and Twitter at We2Deep413. Um, with that, let's dive on into this interview. And we're back here with the Slapping Meat Wrestling Podcast and with the much uh, much awaited segment asked for by our community here in the casual wrestling community Discord page. Um to bring on my special guest from the Junkyard Podcast, Junkyard Jimmy, Junkyard James. Thanks for the thanks for the well welcome here, <laughs> disrespectful ass motherfucker. Uh, but not just that. We're not just gonna have one special guest. We're gonna bring my my friend in here, who also leans more to the hardcore AEW side of the spectrum that is Cody Commander K-Dog fresh off a happy week of being a Commander's fan for the the happiest they've ever been. How are you guys doing? Um, I'm still drinking water from the hangover from the past (laughs) weekend so still catching up but uh, we're doing all good over here. 
All right. So before we get into these questions, I got to set up why we're doing this. What's the purpose of me? You know, I make a podcast for casual fans. Why would I do this interview? Well, first off, it's because the community asked me to. But second, I believe we should stretch across the, the, the separation, the divide of the fan base and share opinions with each other. But, uh, James, you've been very outspoken in the last couple episodes of your show, um, calling out the casual wrestling community. Um, and I, I just want to make it well known at the beginning of this interview. Our disagreement, at least this is how I feel about it, our disagreement isn't saying that we dislike you as, as a person or as a fan or that your opinion isn't allowed but more so we just disagree with the opinion because quite honestly, it's stupid. Uh, at least it's how I feel. Uh, but this started back when we started to critique Kenny Omega and uh, Will Ospreay's match at Forbidden Door. We called the Tiger Driver dangerous and essentially said that it shouldn't be completed which didn't get taken well by the what we would call the IWC, the hardcore fans who um, <clears throat> who James would uh, essentially be a part of. And he he started to critique our podcast. And, well, now we're here because the community wants – they have some questions for you. I had them gather up some questions. You guys know the questions beforehand. With that going in, let's start the conversation on a light note. First question, do you like the term mark? Um, and do you think you are a mark? Y'all can answer it, whoever opened door, whoever wants to go first. I'll go. Um, you I'll go. go, yeah, that's I'll fine. Go. The term mark, I, I think it's, we have to use it in its proper context within the industry. So in its, pro in its context in today's term, no, I don't like the way that people use the term mark. Because if you understand what a mark truly was back in the 70s, 80s, a mark was a planted fan who knew the outcome of the match, paid for by the company, and they were there to essentially make the heel get some sort of heat. So if we're using mark in its correct term, then sure, it's a, it's a fine term to use. Um, but in that context, no, I don't think I'm a mark because I don't have backstage knowledge of what's going on in the company. I'm just a wrestling fan, not a mark. I have my own wrestling opinions. Um, so if we're using it properly, then yes, let's use the term, but not every fan who has a podcast or, or some sort of liking or opinion on wrestling is a mark. They're just wrestling fans with opinions. Cody? So I mostly agree there with James. I think that us wrestling fans have turned into smarks and think that we just know everything. And I think that it, like James said, when it was an insider term in the industry, and I guess maybe I don't know this, so this is a preface I don't know. But I would assume maybe somebody like a Wade Keller or a Dave Meltzer or something like that may have brought that term over into an everyday societal term for general wrestling fans. So the insider stuff now got outsider stuff, and now it was well-known, and it was a common term. And 
I don't like that because like James said, we're not in the industry. We don't know the backstage politics stuff. We don't, don't know that stuff. Um, I mean, it, to me, it is what it is. I feel like it's so overused now and people, when I think of a mark, I think somebody just means that you're a, a homer for not a homo, a homer for a, <laughs> uh, I want to make sure that I clarify what I said, homer. Uh, you're homer for WWE or AEW or whatever. So, but I don't hear people say that they're a mark for Star Wars. I don't hear people say they're a mark for DC or Marvel. Just say you're a lifelong wrestling fan. You're a, you love wrestling. You like watching it. You love watching it. You like what you like. You don't like what you like. And that's all it is. Just because you prefer AEW doesn't mean you're a mark for AEW. I guess in a way it is, but at the same time, you just prefer AEW. So, I got, so, so when I was prepping you guys, I did tell you I was going to have follow up questions that weren't on the list. So here's the first one because there's a bigger question that this comes out of, and you guys sort of insinuated this whole point of, you know, the term mark is an insider term, and the bigger question is James has said this before where he's insinuated that if you're not part of the industry. You don't have a right to, to use the industry's terminology or you don't have the right to sort of critique those in the industry. Is this an opinion that you guys actually believe in? If so, why? Um, and then because to me, I think as fans, we should be able to call out when something bad happens, for example. I mean, I've even seen people take it as far to say that botches don't exist that there are mistakes that happen in, which is true. There are mistakes that happen in, in, in live filming, but those are literally the, de that's literally the definition of botch. Um, and so I've, there's been wrestlers on TikTok who work indies who say, if you, if you've never strapped up the boots, you can't critique anyone that who has. So what's your opinion, opinions on that? I'll go first. That's such a, uh, that's a tough one to answer just because you're going to get the guys and gals who are in the industry that are going to feel that way. And to an extent they are right. If you've never taken a bump, if you've never ran the ropes, laced up their boots, you don't respect it. You truly don't. Um, as a fan, yes, you should dislike what you want to dislike, like what you like. It's part of everyday society freedoms we have. Say what you want to say, like what you like, don't like, or don't like what you don't like. But when it comes to botches, you know, we make fun of it, you know, and and it is a sore spot whenever you're watching a good match or a good program and something like that and something unfortunate happens. Um, I don't look at it and try to point fun and say, oh, look how this person is such a crappy wrestler they botched or um, – you know, if, if it's a, some, it's not something I'm going to point out when it happens. I'm going to be like to myself, oh, that sucks. It was a botch and try to move on past it. I've only partaken in a training thing for one day for a paper I wrote in college. So I have taken a bump, but I have not wrestled and I don't know exactly all that they go through. I know it's a lot. So I have 
like the teeniest amount of respect for them because of not, not that I don't respect them, but I've taken a bump. It hurts. It sucks, but I'm not, I've not been in their shoes where I've had a full blown match, nothing like that. So I can only imagine how they feel when they mess up and to see fans like point out to them that they messed up and then they, you know, it would irk me too. But at the same time, it is what it is. It happens. Yeah. yeah well, Here's my take on it. Um, you can – I have two examples I want to use. So let's go back to this Kenny Omega thing that kind of started this whole supposed controversy. The The point of me making – you know, using Kenny Omega's match as an example was it even in the beginning, was it to, like, criticize a whole community or – you know, I, that wasn't the point, but it was to state overall in general or, like, in general terms – you can disagree with them using that move. My entire point was if you if you would haven't taken that move or if you don't understand why that move is so important to the wrestlers, you can't go there and criticize their style of wrestling. And, and I'll, I'll point out a WWE example. People have like bullied Ridge Holland to deleting his Twitter account one because he uh, broke Biggie's neck, and then he injured one of Pretty Deadly's members um, a couple weeks ago. That I don't think that's right because he, you know injuries happen in the in the in the industry. It's a part of the show. Sometimes they do happen, as unfortunate as it is. But to put blame and make this one guy feel like he's a shitty wrestler because he you know unfortunately was a part of the match where someone got hurt. There's no part in that. I think in wrestling, you can, you can say, well, X and Y botched this, or they shouldn't use this, uh, this move or this, that, and the other, but to go to the point to criticize the talent level of a, of a wrestler because of something that they do and they've gotten seemingly approved from producers and trainers and coaches, when you're not in the industry, that's where I have a problem with it. Sure, go on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Go on Facebook. Go on TikTok. Go on your podcast. Share whatever opinions you want. But the, but I I feel like as a fan, our commentary should stop at the product and not the people b- behind the product. If you disagree with the booking, you can criticize that. If you disagree with a move being used, be you know free to criticize that. My biggest problem is when people say that Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay and other wrestlers, because they decide to use these highly elevated moves, are dangerous, are careless. They don't care about the product. They don't care about their health. They don't care. We don't know that. And and, to, and you know to use terms of that magnitude without really any backstage knowledge of why they're doing the move or what steps were involved in them getting that move to be approved, you know, I don't think it's fair criticism. You can criticize the usage of the move, but let's not criticize the wrestlers themselves when when we haven't worked in the industry. Okay, so the last thing I'll do um, on this sort of idea... 
this has been a question that we've been sort of burned, been talking about since Kenny Omega took the move. And this is something I want to ask you because you you're 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 defending the use of the move. If you were a wrestler, would you take it? Would you allow someone to drop you on your head? If I came over there today and said, let me tombstone you or tiger drive you, would you take the move? In the physical condition that I'm in now, I don't think I could take the move. So, no, I wouldn't let no one do it to me because I couldn't take the bump. You have to know your limits. Obviously, Kenny Omega feels he's in a physical condition that he can take the bump. Obviously, he trusts Will Ospreay enough, and they've done it you know, dozens of other times. They've had you know, two matches this year, and I think they've wrestled prior to AEW being a thing as well. So they they have that trust and chemistry to put these bumps together. Would I trust you to give me a tombstone? No, because we're both un, un, untrained, you know, people. We don't have the ability, uh, you know, the training involved to okay, take so that no, spot. But but hypothetically, if we were trained wrestlers and we've taken the move before, would you uh, agree to a bump to be dropped on your head? If, if it was me, as a, if I was trained and in a physical condition that I feel like I could take the bump, sure. If, it, if I feel like it helps the story of the match, surely. You know, I'm not here saying they should, Kenny Omega should take a Tiger driver every single match. And he's not going to. But occasionally, every once in a while, I think that it's okay to have those sort of elevated movesets to advance the story of the match. Okay. So we'll move on to the next sort of topic here. Uh, James, it wasn't uh, on his last episode because he just did a newer episode on Monday, um, which, by the way, if you're in the casual community and you like AEW, he, he has a show, The Junkyard Podcast. It's mostly AEW-based, so you can check that out. Um, but on the episode before that... He went on, I'm, I'm going to call it a rant for lack of better terms, about casual fans, and more so it was aimed towards the CWC, casual wrestling community, and, and called us, in his words, hypocrites, because we claim to be casual fans while he believes that we are hardcore. Now, I believe that that entire video was entirely based on a misunderstanding of the word casual. So the question that I believe words mean things, and before you can make have an opinion, you should have a clear definition of, of the words you're using. So with that, what does a casual fan mean to you? And James or Cody can start. I'll start. And so I have to I had to look up the definition of what casual meant. Not from some wrestling dictionary or some urban dictionary, but from Merriam-Webster's dic dictionary themselves. And to be a casual, to be casual in anything, means to be indifferent. So to me, a wrestling fan is a fan of wrestling who is indifferent to the product. Th they'll be the ones that watch occasionally. Maybe they're the channel flippers, or they'll watch the pay-per-views, or or. You know, they watch occasionally. They're not up to date and, and aren't fully invested into the product. And and certainly, casual fans 
will would not be of the level of fandom to have any part in a Discord group or a fantasy wrestling group or a podcast. In a sense, wrestling fans are wrestling fans. And so I don't like using the term casual fan or hardcore fan or this or that. Because what that does is it puts labels and puts people in a box that that I'm not a fan of. I don't like the div- I don't like dividing the fans so, based on on their level of intensity or their level of investment in in a product. I, we, go ahead. So in short, you would say the amount of time they spend watching the product is what makes them casual or not? Is that what I'm getting from it? I would say their level of investment because I would say I'm a wrestling fan. A, for a lack of a better term, more of a hardcore fan than a casual fan. Even when I like, because I watch WWE pay per views. I don't watch the weekly content. I don't quite, quite honestly ha- care too much about the main roster. NXT is pretty entertaining, um, but I'm still, I would say, more hardcore because I know what's going on and I have a level of investment in the pay per views. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it's not necessarily how much you watch or how little you watch, but how invested you are in the product. If you have a podcast and you you have two, one to two to three episodes a week solely devoted to wrestling, you have some form of investment in that podcast. If you have a Discord where you talk only wrestling or for the most part wrestling, you know, 50% or more of the time, then I, or for, or if the group, the discord group's name has to do with some, some sort of wrestling. So the reason that you would join this is because you have some interest in wrestling. I feel like you're not casual. You have some form of investment in that group in that sport. You don't see casual DC uh, universe or Marvel universe fans, you know, dressing up to, to, to the premieres of movies. And in the same, right. You don't see so-called casual wrestling fans taking that much of an investment in the product. Okay, Cody, uh, what, how would you define casual? Yeah, I would um, pretty much echo what James said. You casual just means that you aren't as hardcore dedicated. You know, if it's on, it's on. You're going to flip through it. You're, you may you may watch it. You may not. You may get the pay per views. You may not. Um, you're just someone who isn't going to follow it 110%. You're not going to watch every show. You're not going to buy the merch a lot. You're not going to, you may buy a ticket. You may not. You're just one of those people that, oh yeah, if it's on, I'll watch it. I may pay attention and it's not going to hurt my feelings if I don't watch next week or, you know, you're just in passing more or less. You're, you're a casual fan and, and same kind of pertains to a sports thing. Um, you know, I'm obviously I've taken a job with with a minor league hockey team, and with our promotions that we're going to be doing this season, you're trying to appeal somewhat to to a casual fan. How are you going to get their attention to come to a game? And then once you get them to the game, now you have to try to turn them into buying merchandise and get them to come back to more games and investing more money into the team. That's all about money and revenue. So. Casual person is someone who may just flip across the TV and watch it, or just someone who every few weeks watches it and 
just because there's something to watch or they may like it, but you know, they're not going to follow it religiously. I, so I just want to pose this though. Uh, the people who listen to my podcast have listened to, I just did an episode on what makes you casual um, or in my definition. So to me, I believe casual, you can't, so words mean different things in different industries. So casual may, may be indifferent or in, in, in the standard way to use it. But I believe in fandom, casual, and really fandom itself is a spectrum. And, and so my, the way I explain this is you, you're, you have sinner, anything right of sinner to, if we're using my, um, Example, anything right of center, let's say, is casual. The farther right you get, the more casual you are. The farther left you go, the more hardcore you are. Um, for example, you brought up sports. I would say I'm a casual football fan. But that, that, that doesn't make me less invested in the teams that I cheer for. I don't sit here and, and hoot and holler and, and stand up. And I mean, if y'all have seen me watch sport sporting events, I'm it almost at times seems like I'm not interested in the game. To me, it is a lens in which you watch the product from. So by me saying I'm casual, I'm saying that I view the product for what it is, which is a show of scripted fights put on to, for, to entertain. At the end of the day, the results mean absolutely jack shit to nobody. I know it's fake. And, and, and fans, when they hear other fans use the F word, they freak out. It's fake wrestling. It's fake fighting. Um, and I view it through that lens. I don't let it ruin my personal life. And what we would call the IWC or the more hardcore are the people you see on Twitter and on and TikTok who do take it super personally, the result of these, of these fake fights. Um, and so casual to me is the lens in which you watch the show. It isn't how much time you have invested. You, you mentioned, you know, oh, that you shouldn't have a Discord. 90% of our Discord chat has nothing to do with wrestling. We talk about food. The biggest argument we've ever had in this Discord group was over the best flavor of wings. Like, literally, that went on for three days. Uh, we talk about sports. We talk about food. Um, shit, we post random-ass TikToks all the damn time. So, it's... We build a community, and it centers around wrestling, sure. But we have guys in there who literally are the most casual of, of casual. If you watch our Friday stream, we live stream, SmackDown, there's a guy in there, Gossamer, the most casual fan I've ever met. Has just, I'm not going to say he's dumb, but he, he has very limited knowledge of the current product. He, he, to me, that's casual. But he still watches. He still enjoys it. He's still invested. He he's part of the group. Would you not say he's not a casual fan? Again, I don't like to use those labels. Again, like you said, like you're you're. It's almost framing casual fan versus hardcore fan, like in political terms of left of center is, you know, liberal and right of center is conservative. I, I don't want wrestling to be anything that it, divides the fan base it's already divided though it's it, it's i mean hardcore fans divide it themselves and that's the part that's the i think that's what makes wrestling 
interesting is that we have the ability to have a thousand different opinions. So there's because we have that ability, it's going to be divided. I, and there and there are people who are extremely hardcore and extremely casual. I agree with that, but I, I don't want to I don't think that the fans themselves divided and separated into categories. I think maybe it was enhanced, but I wouldn't say that it was the sole cause because you get TV execs, wrestling producers, and execs saying, how do we get the casual fan to watch? How do we, you know, we've already got the hardcore fan base. How do we get the casual fan to watch? So when you hear those terms often more times than not, now you start to associate with them. Okay, well, I'm a hardcore wrestling fan because I watch every week. What's this casual stuff? And then when you when you keep right. hearing and hearing it, now you, you, you're in your head dividing what a casual fan is versus a hardcore fan or, or they're not a real fan. They don't, they don't watch like I do. They don't know the knowledge that I do. They don't follow it verbatim like I do. So, you know, why should I care about them? And, and they, they ruin my product because uh, they don't care about it as much as I do. Not saying everybody's like that, but I think that the more times we heard ma- those terms. A majority of the people on TikTok are that way. If you see, never- that's, that's one form of social media. And I would say that Twitter X is kind of the same way too, but it's not the vast majority of that group. Anything on social media right. is not a vast majority of any group. And so I want to add as well, and apologies for interrupting over talking somebody, um, but I joined a discord just for the hell of it, because specifically there's a few people that you maybe not publicly, but privately have called out. And so I joined their Discord group, and it's the same thing as your Discord group. It, they talk about wrestling. They have Discord chats about music and sports and food and inter- other forms of entertainment. And so my the, the thing that I was trying to get at in that podcast that you mentioned was that I don't like that we divide based on casual or hardcore – and if we can just stop dividing and just focus that we're, we're all just fans of something and get to know each other along those lines, then maybe we can realize, put our differences of opinion aside on every other thing and build the community without putting boxes around certain things. The, my favorite thing about going to WrestleMania 33 was that I sat with people I didn't know and half the time I felt like ass because of whatever sickness I had. But, you know, there were people there that I didn't know. And we had one shared thing in common for that week, which was we were there to watch WrestleMania. The biggest spectacle I still think of, of all wrestling promotions is WrestleMania. And so to have that opportunity to go to WrestleMania and watch them entertain us, like that's a, that's a, you know, something that it brings people from all around the world together and maybe it's social media and TikTok and and the rise of so-called wrestle talk you know like that has divided us but i don't think that should be a thing and and i'm not specifically saying that casual fans are to be the most responsible I, i know there's groups you know on each side of the aisle that have their problems and it's a thing that they both have to, you know, come to agree to disagree on some things and let's come together and work things out, you know, but to say, you know, to paint with the broadest of brushes and say the entire IWC is this way or the entire casual fan base is this way. I don't think it's fair. 
I think we're all wrestling fans at the end of the day, and you hold your opinion on however you want to hold it. You know, the greatest thing about wrestling is that there's differences of opinions and 35 million different flavors of how you can enjoy the product. Right. So I think what you're failing to recognize, though, is that it is human nature to divide ourselves. We, by nature, go to groups that think and look just like us. And so we're not going to ever just come together. It's never going to happen, no matter how much peace we try to talk. It is literally in our nature to divide ourselves. Um, so with that, uh, we'll move on. Those were two questions. Those are only two questions I put in this list. Most of the rest of the questions are come from our great friend in the CWC, DJ Wavy D. Appreciate you for being my, basically my executive producer again, because you write all the questions that I fucking talk about every week. Um, so his first question he has for you is, Again, this is written from his words. Um, from an outside, from the outside looking in, I would say that MJF and his ability to tell stories on a week-by-week -week basis is the best thing going on. And again, this is from someone who doesn't watch AEW. Would you agree with this uh, statement? Why or why not? Whoever wants to go first. Um, I would say that MJF is the best overall entertainer on a week-to-week -week basis. And I think that that's different from, um, um, or I would say that he is the best overall entertainer on the roster, and he typically has one of the best segments each week on TV. But I, I don't think that he is the best thing in AEW. I think that it's obviously a, it's every person's opinion. It's up to the person's prerogative on what they find is great. Some people may love the CM Punk stuff right now. Some people may love the, uh, the FTR stuff. Uh, some people may love the Jericho stuff. To me, there's a there's a few things that, that I really enjoy right now in AEW. Um, I like the fact that you get some separate people on Collision and, and Dynamite. Um, that means you kind of have to tune in on Saturdays to see who you want to watch and tune in on Wednesdays or watch both. And I enjoy that. And I think that each show has their own unique stuff um, that presents to the table. I, I do enjoy MJF. It's probably one of the, my more favorite people in AEW, the segments he does with Adam Cole great stuff for sure um and i think that from an outsider's perspective it probably would seem that he is the best on the roster currently but i i have other things i enjoy close to the equal of that but that that's a fair assessment i would say james would you agree with that um statement so i kind of have the same opinion of with cody there is that i think he's one of the most entertaining aspects of the weekly programming no doubt um and I love the storyline of where, where that's going. I, I honestly hope Adam Cole and MJF win Saturday on Collision, win the tag titles. I think that would be just a great enhancement to the story. Um, but, again, I think it's a subjective thing about what you as an individual would consider the best part of, of programming. I think last week, I think um, the storyline with – you know, Ricky Starks was pretty decent. I think um, Jungle Boy's character development as a heel is is intriguing. I don't know where it's going. I, I'm not. I don't. So you know, it's something that's up there. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think FTR and Bullet Club Gold put on maybe the greatest tag team match of all time. Um, 
And so I think it changes on a week-to-week basis. MJF is one of the most consistently entertaining people. Um, and again, from a, maybe an outsider's point of view, you, I can see where you can say he's, you know, the biggest draw or whatnot. Um, but I think that Collision altogether, in my opinion, has been a really good show, and the and the ratings don't necessarily comp or follow through with how good I feel Collision has been, especially the last two weeks, from commentary to production to the matches that they've put on the show. Hands down, better than Dynamite, in my opinion. Um, but again, it's an end. It's an individual, subjective opinion that someone would have. But MJF is a good, you know, he's good. Um, him and Adam Cole, probably, you know, I look forward to their segments. I, I'm looking forward to this Saturday when they ha- fight FTR. But to say that they're the best programming, not quite for me personally. Um, it, but it does change on a week-to-week basis. Okay. Um, and then, well, that that statement will play back at another question we have here in a, in a few minutes. Um the next question is, how much stake do you personally, as a fan of AEW, hold in the AEW win-loss records, especially because anyone can have any record depending on who is booking? So I've said since the beginning, I love the concept of having a win-loss record. Now, I think AEW has shown over the past year and a half or two years that they really aren't as invested in the in the concept as they were towards the beginning. Um, I don't know if they've updated weekly rankings every week. Um, they used to announce it on the show, and they haven't really done it much anymore. Um, so, but but I think it it is if used right, a good concept. Those who are booked strong will have the best overall win loss records. Those who aren't are going to have the, you know, the lacking win-loss records. And it's a good way for you to have some sort of basis of who's going to be in the main event picture, who belongs in the mid-card, who, you know, doesn't belong on TV at all kind of thing. Um, especially when you compare to the way WWE has it, especially with their tag team division, there's no there's – no, we don't have a tag team division because our champions are too busy playing fucking superhero every week to defend and they don't defend their title. And now they're hurt. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. But again, maybe if there was some structure to set it off, you know, maybe you would have a better tag team division. And so I think it's a good way to just paint a picture of who the top tag teams are at this point, who are the mid card tag teams and, who are those maybe having to work their way into the mid card for each division? And it's just a good basis to see like where, what teams are going. And obviously like there have been issues with AEW's, you know, weekly rankings and things where like someone who wasn't ranked on in the top five, the week prior wins one match and then jumps up to number one contender. And there's really no, you know, basis for that explanation. Um, or an explanation for why why they're there. And so it's difficult, but if it's done properly and there's a, a care to to using the concept, I think it, you can still have those, you know, booked to win a lot, 
be in the main, the main car just like if you didn't have the concept anyway. But it, it's a good way to make it feel like a like a sports-centered product. We know it's entertainment, but if you're pushing for a sports-centered concept, then the win-loss record is a good way to, to build that. Cody, your thoughts on it? Can you repeat the question just one more time? Yeah. Um, how much stake do you personally hold in the AEW win-loss records, especially because anyone can have any record depending on who is booking the show? What does that mean? Who, who's booking the show? So, for example, and I'm glad you asked this. For example, and I'm again, I didn't write this question, so I'm assuming this is what he meant. Um, let's say we created a promotion and we were going to use win-loss records. And one week, I I was going to do the booking. The next week, James was going to do the booking. and and Or one month, I did the booking. The next month, James did it. And for a month, I had the guy that I wanted to win all the time win. And then James says, no, he's not good enough. We're going to have him lose. Because, because essentially the question is asking, because we know that there's someone writing the show, um, how much stake does that? So I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I don't like the idea. Here's why. Uh, if you have wins and losses, like James said, if you're going to focus on sports, and it's not sports. Like I already said, to, to most people who are outside of the industry, if they look in at AEW and act like it's real, they know it's not. Everyone, like, I don't understand why we try to keep up this idea that it's real fighting. Um, and so I think, you know, the booking is more important than who's winning. And of course you want people to be strong and, and to win, but I don't think their win loss, for example, uh, Kurt Hawkins went like 200 matches without a win. However, if I decided to change that booking and to have him win the next 20 matches, he could be number one contender, but still be 20 and 200. So... Well, the AEW style would be your record would go back to zero and zero at the end of every year. So they don't keep track of since the beginning of AEW. It's just a year-to-year thing. Well, they have an all-time record. They, they will do the, the overall record, but, yes, they, they typically will do restarts every year. I mean, they still keep up with the record. They still show it on TV. Um, I, I guess my main – a problem, but I guess whenever you, you label out that question, I guess when I put the term depending on who's booking, to me, it made it seem like the guy was insinuating that there's different bookers every week or every show or whatever the case, and that's not true. But um, I see the point, I do. Um, it was cool to have, I mean, it is cool to have the win loss record. To not be afraid to say this is what the guy's win loss record is. To not be afraid to show it. Um, I get it. It's not a. It's scripted television, so shouldn't matter too much. Um, it, it, it's a way to get the sports type fans to potentially invest into the show to show. Oh, okay, this at least makes sense. If this guy's on a eight match winning streak, he should be in a more contender for at least some sort of title. So I can see that. That makes sense. 
in the grand scheme of things, if you are on a 13-match losing streak and then you win four in a row, that doesn't mean you should be automatically a number one contender. But it, it's got its flaws for sure. Um, it's it, it's cool to me as a sports fan to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's cool. I, I, I dig it. Um, I can see why maybe for maybe a casual fan doesn't really matter or even to some hardcore fans. It's like we already know it's predetermined, so shouldn't really matter. It should be just how you book somebody, how does their booking look over a time, you know, a period of time that makes sense for their rise to a contendership of a title. So it's all right. But even if we don't the one thing I would say, sorry, let me finish this one real quick because I know I'm gonna forget it. I would say that the thing that really irked me a lot, I'm glad it's gone, was the fact that they had dark and elevation. And for most casual fans, they did not watch it. So you could be one and oh on Wednesday, and then you come watch next Wednesday, they're four and oh because they've had two or three matches on different shows, and you're like, When the hell do they have a match? I didn't watch it. What is this? So which is a ploy to get people to watch it. It just didn't work. Not enough right. people cared and watched it. And so it's like, I wish that that wasn't part of it. I understand why. But if they just had Rampage, Dynamite, Collision, right. make more sense, well, it'd be a little bit easier to follow. I, I, so you did take that. So I did. That was going to be one of my things against it is you would have someone who they would bring in and do like 10 matches on Dark. And they would go like 10 and 0. Like, I'm pretty sure that's how they booked Athena when she first got there. Um, if I remember correctly, like I said, I don't really watch all that much, but you can go start like 10 and 0 and beat like squash talent and then come on the main roster or dynamite and, and expect me to care that because you beat 10 people in squash matches that I should care about you. Um, but the, the, the second thing I have against it, and so, so like even in like UFC where they do their rankings. If there's someone who's ranked like 10th and he goes on like a three fight uh, streak where he wins and he just dominates his opponents, maybe wins fight of the night a couple times and he starts getting hot, even if he's only fifth in the rankings, he could still become the number one contender for that title because of the hot streak he's on. I'm fine with that. So I'm actually leaning more towards the side of when losses should start to matter. But when you, when you're in the entertainment business and you're trying to make it sports based, I think there's a line that that where it becomes blurred to where it's convoluting. Right, it's too right. much to keep up with, especially as a booker, let alone a viewer. That you're you're blurring too much lines. You're just convoluting things, and it's just getting really tangled and stuff. That I really I, I I would understand having it in the '80s when the whole you know, where the internet didn't tell us everything that happened. If we people, fans in the eighties, I've always said, I wanted to be a fan in the eighties because for the most part, they didn't know it was fake. Most people, I mean, I'm sure that there were those who figured it out, but for the most part, you know, they, the, the workers themselves that everything in the, that they could, it was literally their job to keep the secret of wrestling a secret to where the fans didn't know about it. Whereas, like you said earlier, you have the people like Meltzer and Alvarez and Wade Keller, who's it's literally their job. It's they made a lot of money exposing the business um, and the and the back behind the curtain parts that happen. We're going to move on to the next question, and I'm kind of hesitant to even bring this fucking shit back up. 
Uh, I thought we got rid of this a year ago. But they, the, these guys want to know your guys' thoughts and reaction to the CM Punk and Elite drama, the fallout as of today, and then ultimately whose side, if you pick sides, whose side are you on? I already know where James is going with this, so let's go ahead and get this out of the way. See, that's where you assume, Ben. I, I think you're going to assume wrong. I think both sides have their fault in the issue. I'm not here to completely defend the elite. I think they could have de-escalated the situation, but instead I think they escalated it to a point to where shit happens. But I also think there are parts of the story that, for legal reasons or whatever, we're not being told the whole truth about what went on in that locker room. And honestly, I don't think as a fan it's any of our damn business what happened in the locker room. Here's a couple things that I do know. This isn't the first time that CM Punk has started backstage drama. He's an asshole. There are several people in several different companies that he's worked for that has said that he is a, you know, a cancer to many locker rooms. That's well known. But, but also at the same time, the elite aren't faultless. Again, they could have de-escalated the situation. I'm in the middle. I don't know the truth. I don't know what happened. I don't, and there are things that, for legal reasons or whatever, we're not prone to know as a fan with it with no knowledge. And so I can't make a full judgment on who's who's in the right and who's in the wrong if I don't know the full story behind it. So I'm just in the middle here. the The difficulty I have with this situation is it involves people that are coming towards the end of their AEW contract. And the longer that this sits and goes and and just sits here and goes unresolved, the more I think we could lose someone like Adam Hangman Page. Because why would he resign when he could just make his money in WWE and be part of a locker room that isn't full of drama? Now, I've heard from sources, I don't know how true these are, that you know, the talk of AEW's locker room being as divided as they say it is, isn't necessarily true. Um, that it's just something that's being blown out of proportion. Um, but at the end of the day, let's just get rid of the whole situation. Let's not bring it up anymore. It's it's in the past. It's been a, about a year ago. Um, it's done and over with. Punk is rocking and rolling again on Collision. And as far as I understand, he won't have to deal with the the elite or a hangman or any of them. Um, and so let's just split the roster among those division and do what we have to do to keep the peace and make sure that the product overall is sustainable so we don't have issues like we did towards the end of last year where Tony Khan is literally having to change months and months of booking because of this incident. And I think that that was really the downfall of a, a dynamite losing. You know, we had that streak the summer of punk last year where we hit a million, like 12 times in a row. And then punk, you know, gets part of this drama. And then the storylines just start to fall apart because what was booked can't be booked anymore. And, I think we're starting to regain that momentum, especially with Collision. I think the numbers came out 
collision this past week was close to 650,000, which I think might be one of the best collisions since its debut episode. Um, leads me to believe, I think if we put collision on Wednesday and dynamite on Saturdays, I think both shows would do better overall. Um, both time slots would, would have better rankings, but I, I don't care. It's a story in the past. Let's focus on building the company and making it a better company. As long as Punk's not doing shit in the back, and as long as the elite doesn't, you know, escalate situations past their boiling point, it happens in every it happens in every locker room. It happens in every office where there's just drama. It's just part of the workforce. Let's just get over it and continue to enjoy the wrestling that we come to enjoy every week. Cody, where's your thoughts on this situation? Um, the whole thing was unnecessary. Um, both three are at equal fault, um, and they they just need they just need to grow a pair, talk it out, move on. Um, I'm tired of hearing about the legalities crap. Um, being a Commanders fan, the word legal legalities attorneys makes me want to puke. So. Um, <laughs> having all that go on during the summer of last year, especially with uh, all that was going on with my football team, that uh, it, it just, it, it sucked. It, it sucked. And like James has said, um, you know, Tony Khan books stuff in months in advance. You know, he tries to do the best he can with, with having a good plan in place for booking and it had to get, you know, changed on the fly every single week. Nothing flowed. And the fall was was forgettable because of the fact of, of what transpired. And, you know, give kudos to John Moxley for basically putting the company on his back for five, six, seven months, uh, being the world champion and, and, and just being there every week. He was supposed to take a long vacation. Had to cancel that because, you know, Tony Khan needed somebody to rely on. And, I, and I'm sure Jericho was there to rely on, but it was Moxley that needed to carry the torch uh, for the world champion side of things. And that's what happened. Um, I mean, Tony Khan had to know who he was signing with Punk. It's not a secret. You know, he is that asshole. He is that ego, very hard, stubborn guy to work with. I'm sure anybody could have told him that, that it's worked with him in the past. And if any of the EVPs or if anybody really had a big problem with this, they should have all talked before the signing would have happened and said, listen, we don't want what happened happened. We don't want this to happen Let's just stay on the same page. Let's work this out. Make sure everything's going smoothly. If you have a problem, open door policy. Come, let's talk. That goes, I mean, that that's, I try to look at it as me. If there's somebody that legitimately has a problem with me, I hope they have the balls to at least come to me and confront me about it. What's your problem with me? What's your beef with me? Let's squash it out. Um, and that's all there is to it. If, if you don't have enough courage and balls to be like, hey, listen, I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you do things. Here's why. Let's talk about it. And then. At that point, you can either agree to disagree or we can hopefully get on the same page and move on. And that's all there is to it. I mean, just be adults. That's all it is. Yeah. whole thing was unnecessary. It's bullshit. It shouldn't have happened. And, um, you know, the Gallaty part, it, to me, is just a cop out to say that you don't want to talk to the guy. Move on. Just talk it out. Move on. That's all there is to it. So to expand one a little bit more uh, on this subject, I really don't like talking about it. It sounds like you guys don't. I, I'm I'm with you guys actually, which is surprising. I think both sides are at, at fault. Um, everyone, I mean, they're a, it's a fucking workplace. Everyone has to clock in and be adults at one point. And 
And um, so here comes my issue, though, with, that I don't know if people have actually thought about. James said split the rosters. You can't. You have to, you have to give the fans something. And th- this has to lead to a feud between the Elite and Punk and FTR. That, that, to me, that, that has to be the result. And, James, you mentioned on your show on Monday you don't have anything booked for All In. This would sell tickets. I know you guys are selling historical amount of tickets right now for All In. If you would, if you would book this match, uh, six-man tag, Punk and FTR versus the Elite, you would, you would probably have a million people outside the stadium just trying to get in to watch that match. My problem with splitting the roster is it's childish. If the elite and punk can't be adults and work together, they should not be work. They they shouldn't be there. If you can't be adults, you have to, one of them has to leave. You can't have peace when there's obvious tension in the lot to where at forbidden door they had to be on the complete opposite side of the arena. That's childish, and that creates a bad locker room, and you're going to lose people that way. There are going to be people who don't want to have to be on eggshells because Punk and Elite are in the building together, and they don't know what's going to pop off. What happens at the next pay-per-view when when collision? And then I've always said this. You could lead it to an actual event where if you want to split the brands, you could create an entire event, Battle of the Brands, where it's Collision versus Dynamite. And again, it leads to Punk versus Omega or something along that line. It's it, My problem is right now is you have a bunch of children in that locker room. And, and, and we'll get to this idea of you have children as your executive vice principals or who... President. President, principals, all the same fucking thing. Your EVPs are children, and I hate to say it, but it is that's how I feel about it. now. Punk's Punk's childish as well, and how he's handled it, and and it is it's high school drama that didn't have to happen if people would just grow up and be adults. I mean, I don't. There's people I work with that I don't want to work with, but you do it because it's your job. I'm sure everyone feels that way. Um. We'll move on to the next question. We're going to have to split it into 6A and 6B. That's, I think that's going to be the easiest way to do this. So it's what are pros and cons of AEW and WWE? So let's start with the pros of each as well, James, Cody. What are some pros of WWE and AEW? Um, I like this question because it forces y'all to praise a company that y'all don't really praise all that much. Go ahead, James. That's not fair. Um, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Anyways, um, I think the biggest – so when I looked at this question, I gave one pro and one con for each segment. So for well, I, the mean, biggest, I mean, both have a con in it. All right. That was good. I on that one. That was good. So my pro for WWE is I feel like they have a, big, a more defined main event picture than AEW has. We know who's who at the end of the day who's going to be main eventing every bit. Every now, before big you move event. forward, before you move forward, since you bring up the idea of the main event picture, 
and this is my show, WWE, can we stop having four main events booked for each show? Not every match can be the main event. If you don't know, SummerSlam has three matches being booked as the main event. Seth and Finn, uh, Cody and Brock, and then Jay and, and, and Roman are all considered the main event because words don't mean shit anymore in WWE. Anyway, continue. Anyways, um, but yeah, so you know who who your guys are in WWE who are going to main event your pay-per-views, whether that's Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns or Cody Rhodes or you, there, there are defined main eventers in WWE and defined mid carters in WWE and AEW don't really have that. You one, one pay-per-view you'll have the so-called four pillars of, AEW main event your your show for the world title and then the next show like three of them probably won't even be they'll probably you know sit in the mid card all three of them you know obviously MJF is as your world champion will be your main event guy but you know there's there's no I guess cap on who can be a quote-unquote main eventer in AEW whereas WWE, you have a defined main event picture. Now, my pro for AEW is I actually had two. I'm sorry. Um, I think they have the best tag team division in the entire industry. Um, FTR, Bullet Club Gold, The Acclaimed, just to name three, The Young Bucks, Lucha Bros. Roosh has finally signed with AEW, so now we'll get Lafaxion uh, and Gobernables back. Uh, we talk about trios, House of Black, like just so much talent in their tag or trios division. And then the a second smaller pro is that AEW uh, actually allows wrestlers to get over organically and they don't get punished for getting over organically with the fans <clears throat> LA night. <clears throat> um, but anyway, yeah. Hey, hey, if, if we're going to believe what everyone else <laughs> is telling me, we just got to be patient on it, which is funny you bring that up because – Oh, yeah, we got to be patient with Cody too, as he becomes Stardust in a couple months. Hey, no, 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 y'all, 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 no, you really do got to be patient with that push though, because because he's beating the beast, and then well, we don't know where he's going from there, because we got six months, so he he's gonna beat Roman at Mania 40. That, that's my prediction, and and I'm not wrong on this anyway. Um, Cody, what is a pro that you have for each company? I try to keep it a little bit shorter and sweet. Um, for me, AEW has a better focus on the wrestling side of things. Um, and to me, they have just a better overall emphasis on the tag team division and tag team wrestling. Uh, whereas WWE, their pro is they just got the better overall um, entertainment storyline factor into it. Um, not every storyline is 100% perfect, nothing like that, but just in general, it's usually pretty easy to tell who's fighting who and the storylines building up to that. Um, and they've had the better use of their women's roster. Even sometimes it's very repetitive. I, I'm more into their women's matches and main events and title pictures than I am with AEWs because it seems like, you know, even with two, four, five hours of TV, we still barely get the women on the on the shows, and that's just really irks. I mean, that's a big pro, that's a big con for AEW for me is the use of the women's division. Still, uh, we have two titles, and may get one match on the card. And I understand that I get you have more male than female talent, but you have a secondary title 
uh, in the women's division. I understand you have the tag and the FTW and the international and the TNT. And I get it. But in the trios in the world title, but at some point, man, you just gotta, if you're not devoting the time to it, it ain't going to happen. You have two hours of collision, two hours of dynamite, give the women 45 minutes, at least one of those shows. And that, that, it ain't that hard. It really isn't. And to me, it's simply that AEW, to me, just convolutes things that shouldn't be convoluted. The TBS title should be on TBS. TNT title should be on TNT. It's not this hard. I, I don't understand why we need to put a Chris Statlander TBS title match on collision, on TNT. doesn't make sense. But the Wardlow, the TNT champion, or whoever the hell is the TNT champion, Luchasaurus and Christian Cage, <laughs> keep them on TNT. Don't put them on TBS. And the whole brand split thing, it is what it is. And that kind of helps you do that. But to me, it's like, that's just, it, it's written right there. Just do it. I mean, yeah, you, it, maybe it's a fear of missing out of putting somebody on a dynamite. It is what it is, man. You just got to move on. The women's title can, can, can be on maybe both or every other week, put them on the other show. TBS title needs to stay on TBS. TNT title needs to stay on TNT. You have enough men's champions and men on your roster as is. It ain't going to overconvolute that. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that 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 uh, yep. made sense with my pros and cons. Absolutely, James. What are your some of your cons since, since we're... Yeah, so for WWE, I think they're, they're booking stories longer than they need to be booked. I've talked about this before. I think the Bloodline story has gone on for entirely too long. Ah, bro, to this point, is cinema. Come on. To the fact that I would consider myself a hardcore fan, and I'm bored with the story. I, I just want it to fucking end. You're the, the all, you're, you're the only person in the world bored with this story. And I'm I, I um, hate to, I hate to break it up to, to ruin your your night, but it's gonna continue till Mania, so don't expect this to end next week. Fucking dumb, but um, like same thing with the ju- like the Judgment Day. I think they just need to break them up as well. I know I know Dom is hot, but like no. have him turn have him turn. They just need to make the fucking turn with Finn and Damian happen already. Stop fucking teasing it every week. It ruins the effect of the turn. Because no it's one's... gonna, it's it's gonna make it so much better when it happens though. Uh, I, I just those guys are not breaking up. They they are the hottest thing on the roster right now. They're not getting rid of them. Yeah, well, it's gone on for way too long. You have to change something or add somebody to it, or or like what happened to JD joining? What happened to Dragonoff joining? Like all of these rumors happen and then they don't happen. If you listen um, anyway. to anything that comes out of the rumor mill, you're a fucking idiot. Uh, um, by the way, by the way, JD got uh, it, that's not happening, and, and the Dra- Dragonoff rumor was to join Imperium, which I think will happen at SummerSlam. But um, con for AEW, Cody kind of already mentioned it, and I mentioned it in my last episode of my podcast uh, entitled "If I Was Tony," talking about what I would do to change AEW. Uh, women's wrestling should matter. And it doesn't to AEW. They are the most utilized division in the entire industry. I think AEW, if you look between NXT, WWE, and AEW's women's rosters, I, you have a, a just that on paper, not on the booking, you have a case to say that AEW may have the most talented women's division in the entire industry. 
and they're just not being used. And I made a suggestion that because there is a rumor that Dynamite becomes three hours long, that at some point within that three hours, the women should get at least an hour of that show. Because we get, like, Dynamite this last week, I think Britt Baker versus Kayla Sparks was the only match on the show, and it lasted two minutes. And then we get Sky Sky Blue versus Taya Valkyrie in a five-minute match setting up Britt Baker versus Taya on collision. Like, ah, we have so many talented women's wrestlers. You could build an entire women's-only show out of the people not being used in AEW's women's division. And so, the second the second thing, the second con I have of of AEW is sometimes their build up to the pay-per-view stories takes so long. And I know sometimes you know you have 16 episodes that you have to build before your pay-per-view and you don't want to give us the story on episode one. But sometimes we don't get these stories till episode 14. And we have two weeks of buildup for a pay-per-view match, and there's 14 episodes underutilized to build these stories. We're, we're what, a month or so away from All In, and we have zero confirmed matches, I think. So it's your biggest show. We, right. don't, even, we're, we don't even know what the pay-per-view, uh, if it's going to air on in the, in the States at this point. Um we got to get some more info. There was a rumor that it would be, but it hasn't been confirmed by AEW. I think Andrew Zarian confirmed that, but AEW hasn't said anything specifically about it. Can y'all just confirm Goldberg versus Ryback, please? I will not watch that fucking pay-per-view. That son of a bitch Ryback shows his face in AEW. Now that now that I got to catch my my train of thought back after that, uh, stupid, uh, James. So you mentioned the women's division, and I want to just bring this side conversation uh, just quickly, and we, your thoughts on this. So you, so I listened to you to what you just said there, and then I also listened. I actually listened to your full episode on Monday, and the first thought that came to my mind was, like Cody said, if you're not going to use it, it's not going to get better. But second. You just mentioned you can make a whole show out of unused talent. Is not the solution then to trim the fat of the roster? There are people on your roster that don't get used. Get rid of them. There's no reason to hoard. And and, and I think both companies, WWE and AEW, have way too big of a roster to just have, have talent just sitting there not doing anything. Like how many of you knew that Eric Young got, got released back in April? I, I mean, you may have known, but I had no fucking idea until he showed back up. Which, first off, they didn't even explain how the fuck he 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 came back to impact. He literally got stabbed to death on his 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 ending episode last year, and he just pops up as Team Canada again. I just I don't, so impact. You got to fix that. Uh, but um. Yeah, I, I think at both companies have to cut the fat. There, there's way too many wrestlers not on the rosters doing nothing. I think to the contrary, we just need to give them more time. But but and so that's why but, like I would suggest a women's only pay-per-view. Give your women the time. 
let me but but with your show if it's match oriented which is what your show is built to all your your tv shows are match oriented where you have to, where you have longer matches than than wwe does and because of that what match are you going to take out to add more women's time you're going to cut the men talent which bring the viewership because it's statistically proven that men's wrestling provides larger ratings than women's wrestling. However, there have been times on AEW shows where the women's segments may have peaked more so. And it's not every week, and it may not even be in most cases, but there have been some cases where the women's uh, segment match may have may not been the highest segment, but it peaked very well. Right. So I think it just depends it, on. And that. so if we just start cutting the unused talent in the women division, you literally would have Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm, and that's, that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Right. So I think I think the issue with AEW's women I'm division not, I, is, I'm not saying cut all of them, but is does Emmy Sakurai or whatever the fuck her name was, does she still show up? Oop. No. Right now and again. It, she'll show it, up. She'll show up in Raleigh in, on August twelfth for DPW to defend the DPW Women's Champion. Right. So, um, so the problem is, is you have too many people who are not because you are non-exclusive. Ninety percent of your roster does other things, and so if she's booked to be in Raleigh on us on a Saturday and she can't go to an AEW show where they could book her, why is she on your roster? I know people complain about. WWE not allowing their, their talent to do indie shows or other promotions if they're not being used. But there's a reason for that. It's because if, if uh, I'm trying to think, Cedric Alexander, if, if Cedric Alexander is needed, he he's not booked by another show. It's so that even though he's not being used, if he was, if they decided to change their mind about him, he's available. Whereas how many people on your roster are, would rather work the indies because their booking fee. If, if I was an independent wrestler and I was signed and I'm all elite and I get my little poster on, posted on their, on their Twitter page, my booking fees going up. And then I would rather work the indies and work four shows a weekend. than then say, Tony, I know you don't have anything planned for me. I'm not going to be available because I'm taking bookings every weekend for the rest of the year, because that's how you make more money that way. So I think if you're going to have people who would rather do the indies, let them run the indies. Uh, I just I don't agree with this cutting talent just to cut talent. I think the answer should be you have to open you have to open up the avenue for these women to be used more, and that's why I'm like you got to give not, them more I, time. I'm not I'm not disagreeing. You, you more time should be needed, but you have what like. 40 women on the roster and how many of them are actually available every single week of the, of the year? I don't think the answer is 40. I think we maybe have 20 or so women that are like legitimately AEW. Um, and then, but that's my other thing too, is you bring in these, like I'm fine with having like enhancement talent, but you, you'll bring the same enhancement talent back like four weeks in a row. And then, magically sign them, but that's taking time from people already on the roster for them to just lose a match. 
Like Action Andretti. I'm sure he's a great person. How many matches did he have to have on AEW before they finally signed him? I think he was signed before he had a match. They just played storyline to where he beat Jericho in his first match, and then he was officially signed. But Jericho vouched for him to be signed before their match. So he didn't Uh, even have to have a match. But, yeah. Well, we'll move towards the next question. Do uh, do you think that AEW lacks overall storytelling or reasoning across their 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 weekly show on a week to week basis? I think it's kind of been part of the answer that I said that there's a slow build to a lot of these stories. I've always said that Tony Khan is at his best of booking stories when he has about four to six weeks before pay per view to start booking stuff, and so I think this is a scenario where Warner brothers maybe knows about, maybe can see this as well. And that's maybe why they want 12 pay-per-views as this next thing. And that would give Tony Khan, especially with the way that I had, if you listen to my last podcast, you wouldn't have an AEW pay-per-view every month. You would have 12 pay-per-views. Four of them are ROH. Six of them are AEW exclusive. And then you'd have a women's only forbidden door with AEW and stardom talent and a men's forbidden door with AEW and new Japan talent. And so you could book it to where you have an AEW pay-per-view every two to three months with a ROH pay-per-view and then one of the mixed roster pay-per-views. And so it gives each show two months or so to build to the next pay-per-view. And that's right in Tony's wheelhouse to book better stories. I think this could be a case to where having more pay-per-views may be beneficial long-term for a story storytelling. Um, I don't know how anybody else feels about that, but I, I agree. Tony Khan sometimes takes 10 weeks to put a story together, and in those 10 weeks, he's putting on great matches, great, you know, you can call them dream matches, but there's no progression to a story. And you're not going to keep people invested if there's no story behind these. I would agree with you on that. Um, And so, you know, I'd I'd say give him four to six weeks to build a story before from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. And that fits him right in his wheelhouse. Cody? Yeah, I pretty much agree with James on that. Uh, I think sometimes, yes. Um, It's just... You have too deep of a roster and not enough emphasis on some of the storylines, and then it's a week and a half, sometimes week of build of a storyline. It's like sometimes I, I get really frustrated sometimes when we get to the pay-per-view, week of a pay-per-view, and we went from having maybe four to six matches, and it's like, okay, that's that's all right, to magically nine. And it's like, or dude, 13. listen, I'm not trying to have just, you know, spend five hours watching a pay-per-view. I, I love AEW. I, I will watch the product, but my goodness, man, how do you go from having, like, I think Revolution was built up, or even Double or Nothing was built up pretty good. We had a solid six or seven matches that were booked at least three weeks out. I was like, man, all right, this is pretty good. And then, you know, you throw in the casino thing. All right, well, now we're up to eight, and then magically we got to ten. It's like, bro, we don't need all these matches. What are you doing? And, I mean, it turned out fine. The show was fine. But sometimes it's just 
too much booking, too much, hey, we're going to put everybody on the card, too much, whatever the case may be. And it's like, you know, if you just emphasize these storylines, and I understand that you're going to have your, you're going to have your A storyline, which is the main event, your B storyline, story your C storyline for your women's stuff, your mid-card stuff. But, I mean, you got to have emphasis for each act going into a pay-per-view weeks in advance. You just can't sell me on a, on a match or a storyline a week or two out from the pay-per-view and expect me to be like, I care more about that or I care just as much about that than the main event. And I mean, that's not always going to be the case. Not every match is going to have the same type of emphasis and stakes as the main event, but you got to at least make me believe that there's some legitimately good reason why this match is on a pay-per-view. Why am I buying this pay-per-view versus just waiting for the results and watching on dynamite mm-hmm. type of thing? Make me want to buy the pay-per-view. So well, like even forbidden door, the buy-in was booked up until I think the night before with one buy-in match. And I think they ended up having three because on collision, they had booked two extra matches or something like that. So you're going to give me 24 hours to really, you know, feel invested. And I know that it's buy-in matches, but like still, why should I turn on YouTube to watch this buy-in? for these matches that I have less than 24 hours to really understand why they're fighting. So since you mentioned that this is another question, not on your sheet, uh, but was asked in the uh, community, do you think AEW will um, have a forbidden door with other companies other than new Japan? You know, maybe like a triple, uh, no. maybe like pro wrestling, Noah, uh, GWC. no, and I think the reason why is I think Tony Khan has burned a lot of bridges, especially with like Joey Janela, who runs Game Changer Pro Wrestling or whatever, GP, GCW. Um, uh, they're, them working with uh, New Japan hurts some of the Mexican promotions. Like there's beef between those companies. I think Tony Khan is okay working with just New Japan. I think they could eventually, and I think the plan was before Mercedes Monet got hurt, was to have her fight at Forbidden Door. Uh, And I want to expand the stardom uh, relationship there. But no, I don't think, quite honestly, I don't think it is of much value for some of these other companies than it is value-wise for New Japan to have a, a show with with AEW. Cody, your thoughts on that? It'd be cool in some ways. Uh, it's not just so much NJPW and AEW, which is still very marketable, very cool to have that. Um, you, you still can get dream matches for sure. So it is uh, marketable and, and, you know, appeases people sells out shows gets great buy rates so it, it is very cool to do that eventually it's going to run out of, it's going to run its course and you're going to have to do something different um you know whether you try to get another promotion and market three of them that's going to be tough because of whatever beef maybe a company has with another one especially with uh the mexican one of the mexican companies versus njpw um if you try to get maybe an impact versus AEW versus NJPW, that would be cool. Um, you might be able to mix and match it a little bit, depending on the beef and this and that, and who's contractually okay to wrestle with this promotion or whatever. But um, it is a cool idea to do 
I like it. It is a little bit different. You get you those type of dream matches that is uh, is to me is allowing and okay, but um, you got to do it to where it still feels fresh and not so used up that I just nobody cares about it. All right, so we'll move on. Uh, the next question um, comes with uh, what does AEW need to avoid? Uh, to be to stop from becoming the next impact wrestling the writer of the question states i personally feel tna had everything going for it and was on the verge of becoming the a real threat to be a formidable number two the wwe and then dixie carter and hogan tore the company down so what does AEW need to do to, to not have that happen so i think aid uh, impact wrestling did have everything going for themselves before they tried to go head to head with Monday Night Raw. That was a dumbass decision. And uh, number two, another dumbass decision was Dixie Carter telling the Spike TV executives that Vince Russo was working behind the scenes and providing input into the product. Uh, Spike TV essentially at that point pulled pulled out of their TV deal. That fucked well, well, up. Tell me if I'm wrong. wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong though. But didn't WWE join Spike and basically create it like a lawsuit saying like what they're doing to MLW now to where Impact couldn't be on Spike because WWE wanted exclusive rights to it? Or is that after? I don't know TNA, but that's what I was under the assumption happened there. So I think Spike was already getting ready to pull out because of all of this. Spike didn't want Russo being involved in the show. And Dixie Carter fucked up and in an email told the executives that Russo was providing in, input. Um, and they, and, and you know, through a series of things, they lost that TV deal. And then you see where they're at now. I think they're on access television. Like, not everybody gets that. And I love Impact Wrestling. I think they have some really good, talented p- people on that in that company. But I'm not going to pay eight bucks to watch all their products on on their Impact app. Same reason, like I don't even have Honor Club. I'm not going to pay for Ring of Honor. Um, and so when they don't have a big TV deal, that's why Impact kind of fell off the map a little bit. I think I think AEW won't follow that route because we've seen. That they that they've built a good relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, I guess the question has to be how loyal was Warner Brothers to AEW? Because rumors are after the SmackDown deal with Fox is over, Warner Brothers may want to get SmackDown, and so we may have another situation to where AEW gets pushed out. I don't see it that way. Plus, you have Tony Khan, who essentially has an open checkbook to do whatever he wants with the company. Um, and Warner Brothers Discovery is building, using their own in, uh, investment and their own developers are building a mobile game for AEW. I don't think Impact ever had that much investment by any TV network to build a company or to build for the company. I think Warner Brothers is in good hands with AEW where they're at. Um, and so I don't think they become an Impact Wrestling. They may not become number one. I think WWE may still hold that and may always hold that number. Um, but I don't think they'll just like fall off the map where um, to where Impact was 
you know, several years ago where their biggest pay-per-view of the year was in some bum-ass arena in Concord, North Carolina. You know, like, I don't think AEW ever gets to that point. I think they'll still do the big stadium shows and the big arena shows, um, and they'll have that the Warner Brothers deal for as long as as Warner Brothers has invested in the product. Um, and even if Warner Brothers drops out, I think the reputation of AEW hasn't been mired in controversy of Hogan and Dixie and Vince Russo and scandal after scandal after scandal where somebody else would pick them up. You know, NBC or Fox or somebody else could pick up um, AEW. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe they – I don't think they go to it in the status of Impact Wrestling. I Just the amount of money that Tony Khan's willing to invest into it, he will refuse to die – or he will die trying to keep that thing afloat. So what you're saying is they're not going to put Sting and Jeff Hardy in the ring together? Not willingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a joke on uh, Cody because he's a big Sting fan. But anyway, Cody, your thoughts on on do you agree with James? Do you, do you disagree? I was gonna bring up that damn match, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with that. You know, I mean, there there are so many stark differences between AEW and TNA, in my opinion. I mean, roster wise, it seems very similar. Um, but TNA didn't have the money, the funds, the TV deal like AEW does. Um, TNA, I mean, AEW is a to me is is a closer version of WCW than it is to TNA, just for the fact of the money aspect of it. Whereas, man, if if any of y'all have have listened to um, any of these wrestling podcasts, uh, the uh, My World with Jeff Jarrett has has been one of my favorites to listen to. And I've listened to all sorts of Conrad's uh, uh, podcasts as well as others out there like Conan's and uh, even a couple of Vince Russo ones, but um, man, shit, shit. I don't even listen to his anymore. Well, older <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't say anything newer, but um, speaking of really, Conrad real quick, how the fuck did he get in the wrestling hall of fame? Well, to be fair, when you're married to Ric Flair's daughter and then you have like 18 different podcasts with people and created StarCast, uh, I guess, I guess you know, it, it revitalized wrestling in some ways where people actually like to listen to old stories. He, uh, he gave the person who runs that Hall of Fame a good a good uh, interest rate on his mortgage with, with save with <laughs> consolidated his debt you know refinance his loan it was oh great, it was he does thing. he does debt consolidation i might have to like call them up yeah i mean he does mortgages <laughs> they do i mean i tried that. i tried that i i was like man i can get my credit card debt down and i put in a thing and the guy was like oh it's only if you have like a home loan and i'm like bro oh, i'm renting oh. come on now help a brother out <laughs> he was just like no no just not yet whenever you get a home let me know but anyways um yeah with Jeff, and I mean, I'm not going to go down the entire history, but I mean, Jeff pretty much put his entire life savings into that company, and the whole like the whole background with TNA is so wonky and weird, and had a lot of backstage stuff and people that lied and skeeved. And I'm not not even talking about the Russo stuff. The <laughs> they had a loan from a from a reputable company uh, to help them help fund the shows as well as with their 
savings. And then they had a guy with in-demand pay-per-views and TNA ran a weekly pay-per-view every week. And then that guy lied to them about the, uh, the numbers and faked it. Literally, if you have six to eight hours to, to listen to a podcast, listen to the My World with Jeff Jarrett on every part of him creating TNA. Fascinating, really fascinating stuff. But anyways, um, even though there are wrestlers that are on the roster actively who are wrestling and are, and I'm not trying to get ahead of the questions, but I think that Tony Khan is enough of a, the buck stops with me in some instances, not every instance, obviously, but I don't think he knew about the whole punk all out thing. So I'm not even going to blame him on that, but I'm not saying Tony Khan is a Vince McMahon, but literally while they have some creative freedom, he ultimately has a yes or no. People will say, oh, go ask Tony, or I'll ask Tony for you, but it's up to Tony. So Jeff had somebody ahead of him with Dixie because Panda Energy, TNA sold to Panda Energy. So technically, Bob Carter and Dixie Carter was his boss. Dixie evidently thought that she could, you know, slide through the back door and get rid of Jeff and ultimately she did because she wanted to control the company. She went from saying, I love wrestling. I love to be involved with it. Let me help you not be bankrupt and save this company to, yeah, you know what? I think I can actually book this thing. I think I can actually, I think I know what's best for the company and I had absolutely no idea because she didn't know wrestling. So there, if they made the same mistakes as TNA did, pff, ain't no way they're going to survive 20 years like TNA has. And I don't know how in the hell they have, but, uh, Smashing punches. <laughs> Even then, man, just the lawsuits between Jeff and Dixie and Russo and Hogan and Bischoff and Smashing Pumpkins and oh my god, just so many different twists and turns with TNA and how they've still survived twenty-one years is beyond let's, me. Let's not forget. Glo- let's not forget Global Force Wrestling. I, exactly. <laughs> that, that thing lasted for what? five weeks and then we went back to the impact wrestling brand i mean i'm the king of the mountain bitch is uh double j here it's it's great (laughs) um yeah i don't think tna will turn into that whole long long story short i don't think that'll happen but uh yeah (sighs) jeff jarrett don't 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 buy the company please (laughs) he can have a he can have a match against against tony for control of the company uh, time to match. Uh, I swear. Um, as long as Tony comes out in that cowboy hat. Hey, he did a Stone Cold Stunner to somebody on the ROH pay-per-view on the pre-show, pre-pre-pre-show, oh, only boy. for the fans, not on TV. But, uh, I was going to say. Training. Uh, so Cody sort of mentioned this next question. Um, uh, so James, I know you have the questions up. We're going to skip number nine because we're, we, we're running a little long here. I mean, number nine and number 10 are essentially the same question. Um, does it bother you that there is an active that there are active talent that have leadership slash executive positions while still wrestling? Um, do you fear that this could lead to the disastrous clusterfuck of an end that WCW had? Um, James, your your thoughts? No, it's not really a concern with me. Um, because, again, especially with these new rules that Tony Khan has laid down, that almost every aspect of every story of every decision, even down to moveset, has to get approval from 
creative and producers and, and coaches and doctors. Um, and I think the difference between what happened with WCW and what AEW is allowing is the people like Hogan and Hall and Nash were playing their creative freedom, you know, card every single week and ruining, you know, ruining good stories, good creative stories because they didn't want to, you know, put somebody over or whatnot. There's still some sort of structure. Cody kind of alluded to it to where Tony Khan still has to approve, at least in some, some aspect has to approve storyline. Um, he's just not giving, you know, you have creative freedom, but you don't have sole creative freedom. Um, at least now they have put that structure in place. They've had a lot of things that could have gone wrong. You know, we think about the acclaimed in North Carolina, basically talking bad about Julia Hart. And ever since then, the acclaims raps have to be approved by Tony Khan before, before aired live. Um, and so, no, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I think having someone like Danielson who knows the business very well, help in creative gives AEW better stories because let's just be honest before now, before now with AEW, Tony Khan wasn't in the business. So it may have been a good story to him, but to allow people to have worked in the industry to give their feedback, I think helps the stories go better. Um, it also allows some wrestlers who maybe don't have any creative direction to have some sort of play in the product. I know um, Ari Davari is acting as a producer. Um, the One of the matches on Collision a couple weeks ago was produced by Orange Cassidy. Um, so like allowing these people to, to play these other role roles and not have them have to wrestle, you know, multiple, multiple nights a week and they can still have some play like Cassidy can put a match on and take a couple weeks off and put on his producer hat and recover and, and still be a part of the show. I think it's a good thing for the, for the business overall. Um, and as far as I know, Tony Khan hasn't given any character, full creative control and as long as he he has some sort of structure in place uh, at, towards the end of wcw as long as as far as i understand there really wasn't no structure in place it was literally like a, a jungle and the you know survival of the fittest and the survival of the fittest were the people who you know the halls and the nashes and the hogans i don't think that that sort of industry thing is going to happen nowadays um, because Tony Khan, people like to say that he doesn't have a spine, he doesn't have a backbone, but I mean, there, there's structures in place that he's, he's, you know, the, the final say of everything that goes through in that, in that company, every booking decision in some way has to be approved by him. So there is a structure and, uh, I, I don't, I don't see it as a problem. I don't think having the Omega and the young bucks and, and, Hangman being EVPs really does anything, you know, for the on-screen production because when they're in their on-screen role, they're just wrestlers. But knowing the business, it can help. It can help the business, you know, on a Tuesday when there's no wrestling. Well, they have other jobs that they got to do, and so I don't. I don't see it as a problem.
they just have multiple different jobs and and uh, they they uh, they're doing pretty good at for themselves at those positions. Cody, your thoughts? So, if if you don't know the answer to this question, that is perfectly okay. If you want to take a shot on this soon, that would be fine. The very end of that question. Do you fear this could lead to the disastrous clusterfuck of an end that WCW had leading up to the question right before that? What does that mean? Mm. What does that, what does the first question have to do with the second question? That the inmates are in the, that, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand the the whole synopsis of that entire question. Yeah, I should have kept the fucking questions up now that I didn't to answer a question with a question. Um, because I could go one or two ways with this, and either way, I feel like it's going to lead down a whole. Well, just go both. Just just go both ways, because um, I don't really know what the the mindset behind the question was. Yeah. Just kind of reading the question, it, it insinuates that the act of talent had leadership slash executive positions in WCW that led to the downfall, and that's entirely inaccurate. Um, Hogan was not an executive producer or president. Neither was Nash, neither was Hall, neither was Flair. On screen, yes, they had strong characters. In their contracts, yes, they had creative control. I don't think that that necessarily means that they were in a leadership executive role. It just means they had creative control over the character. And it means that besides Nash being Booker in 1999, that, and that was because Bischoff was sent home, Russo was either starting to come into the role or right before the role. Um, and then Russo took over and then he got tired and went home in January and then Russo came back and then Bischoff came back. Yeah. That whole last year's WCW was a, was a fun deal. But anyways, um, really besides Nash being the booker and that was just because nobody else was there to be the booker. It was almost like, okay, who wants to be the booker? Okay. Nash, you can be the booker. Cause I guess he said he wanted to be that, but um, there was a lot of things that made the downfall of WCW and AEW is not leaning towards that whatsoever. In my opinion, Eric Bischoff didn't own WCW. Ted Turner did once Ted Turner bought, you know, basically got the, the rug swept from underneath them by Warner and AOL time Warner. Then it became AOL time Warner's company. And then it was basically up to the networks, the head of the networks of TNT and TBS of if they wanted to keep the products on TV and they did and, and when Bischoff made the, the attempt to buy the company in 01, they were like, yeah, you can have the company, but you can't have the TV time. So, I mean, essentially the deal was worth like maybe $5 because it was like, okay, well, you can have everything but the TV time. And I mean, by then they were locked into a so much of a contract that they couldn't negotiate with FX or any other partner to get a TV deal in time before the company basically went under. So that's that's a whole thing. I don't know why I went down the whole history of 1999-2001-WCW, but I guess because I'm, that's my company, I had to do that. It's all me, damn it. Right? So I say all that to say that this is nothing compared to that because Tony Khan owns this company. If literally all four or five of the EVPs left, it wouldn't matter because it's still Tony Khan's company. He can still run it without them if he chose to do so. He could put new people in as those EVP roles. Um, he still has the network deals because he himself negotiated those with Warner. It wasn't 
maybe it was in a way that Omega or the Bucks or Hangman had something to do a little bit with that. Maybe they sat in on a meeting. I don't know. But what I ultimately know is that this is Tony Khan's company. So Kenny Omega's not running the day-to-day stuff. Neither the Bucks, neither of Hangman Page. Nobody but Tony Khan literally can be like, I'm shutting down the company or... Guys, thanks for all you did for this company. You're going to, you know what? You can do the Cody Rhodes route and go get the money. Perfectly fine without you guys. I appreciate you. Um, I'll just get new EVPs. Can be that simple. And James made a point of, of these other guys making, you know, being producers, you know, and they're learning from other wrestling minds to produce, like the Dean Malenko's, like the Jerry Lynn's, um, and coaching and things like that. So they're trying to pay it back towards the so eventually, when you guys can't wrestle anymore, here might be a good idea to get your creative mind to work and be an agent, be a producer, be an, uh, uh, a writer, whatever the case may be. So I think AW is in a much better spot than WCW ever was, simply for the fact of Tony Khan is like a Vince McMahon, what well, was. He owns his company. He can do whatever he wants with it. And at the end of the day, um, it's really up to him to – keep it on TV or not. So, right. All right. All right. So we have one more question. I purposely kept it from you because I wanted to get your guys's raw reaction to this. I had a feeling this was coming (laughs) with the assumed match being at all in being Omega and Osprey three. What's the possibility we get Omega Osprey four in April in Philadelphia at WrestleMania. Slim to none. Slim to none. Yeah, I think Osprey's basic hasn't Osprey basically said he won't join WWE at this point. Um, I think Osprey likes his spot at New Japan. Um, he's one of the top guys and one of the most trusted guys in New Japan. Um, but other than that, even if he were to go to WWE, they wouldn't put him in a match with Omega. Um, cause I don't think Omega would go to WWE at this point. Um, plus it's the end of the trilogy and it, it would be difficult to, you know, continue on a story or at least the same story that's going on now. And I think the, the mystique behind Omega and Osprey is, it's not sports entertainment based. It's we're just going to try and kill each other in the in the ring, um, and that's what the fans really love about um, those matches. Like I have Osprey Omega Two from Forbidden Door as my match of the year right now, and it's going to be really hard to beat that. Um, and and I see you smiling over there. Um, I'm just smiling because of what my match of the year is. I'm not going to say it because we you know we'll have to get together for for that match of the year uh, podcast or the the yearly awards like we always do. But with that, I want to thank you all. It's been a lot longer than I thought this would go. Uh, I appreciate you guys being here. Um, James has the Junkyard podcast. I don't know when to tell you to watch it because he fucking doesn't have a schedule. Uh, but I, I don't have a set schedule for anything. So, uh, um, so you can just check up on the Junkyard Media Group YouTube page, and whenever an episode's posted, it's posted. Uh, 
Uh, Here's what you do. You go to Linktree. Uh, I don't know. Is it Linktree.com forward slash Junkyard Media? And you can find all of my links there and subscribe to the podcast and you'll get updates when I freaking upload one because... I've had this podcast for about a year, and I think I'm on episode 15. So we're, do- we're doing pretty fucking good right now. <laughs> it's better than me. I haven't had an episode in probably two and a half years. Right. Um, well, you can could, you could watch all three of us plus two more every Thursday night right here on the Junkyard Media Group page as we do our sports podcast, the Calling Audibles podcast. Um and then for the, the CWC who's listening to this, first off, I'm sorry that I made you listen to a th- almost three-hour-long podcast because I recorded stuff for this interview. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry to make it the length of, of Cornette's podcast every fucking week, but um, we're not bad as his six-hour episode I sat through of his one. one th- uh, that took all day. But... Uh, um. What you can do is put on Monday Night Raw on mute and just listen to the podcast. Um, no, because Monday Night Raw is actually the best show right now on WWE, which is quite quite sad that to say that. Anyway, um, sorry for the length of this podcast, which means, y'all, I'm not doing a Saturday show this week because I know y'all ain't got enough time in the world to, to listen to me talk for this long. <laughs> and uh, um, But with that, check out... Um, Queen City Pro Wrestling as well. I'm actually about to go and, and finish my editing of that. So that, that can be up tomorrow as well or Wednesday, uh, depending on when you guys are listening to this. Um, but again, thank you to my two guests here. And again, tune in Thursday at 9 Eastern to hear us talk about this this week's NIL and transfer portal. So um, I don't know if I'm in the uh, Discord, but I may have to join it now. I mean, if y'all want to join it, if, you, if the people who are in it, I mean, uh, we, I will say this. We are on a three-strike and you're out of here role. We don't play no shit. Uh, so uh, I still think James was old Jess Harvey over here. but, but he, I was not. I'm in one <laughs> Discord. And okay. So- you might be this Barney dude who I don't know who the hell he is, but he be acting a little bit retarded sometimes. I hope he doesn't listen to this. But <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the group? Uh, well, you can go to the casual community YouTube page and the links to join are in the uh, in his videos. That's Notorious Nerdy D, my 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 old buddy here. It's a it's a good group to join if y'all want to join it. But again, like I said, it's uh we don't play no shit. You try to ruin the vibe of the group, you're gonna. I'm personally gonna kick you the fuck out of it. So, uh, but enough. with but with that, uh, thank you all for joining, and we will see you all. Um, on my next episode, which I may do one on Saturday. Who knows? But uh, we'll, we'll see you on the next episode.